is the WA Country Hour with Belinda Varischetti on ABC Radio WA. Hello, how are you this Tuesday afternoon? Well, now that Agriculture Minister Alana McTiernan has announced she'll retire from politics early next year, there is a lot of talk about who will be the state's next Agriculture Minister. Mick Fells is a farmer at Whittenham Hills in the Esperance region and he says he'd like the government to give the position and the person in charge of it some really serious thought. An agriculture sector the size of Western Australia's would justify you know, having the very best people in charge of it, but because mining is so ridiculously huge in WA, ag, even though it's really significant, is sort of treated like, you know, the poor cousin, and governments of all persuasions tend to not worry too much about who they put in that portfolio. There are a lot of names going around the ag sector, ag circles at the moment about who the next agriculture minister will be. Uh, Jackie Jarvis, that name keeps coming up. Jess Shaw. Stephen Dawson, maybe? What do you know? Who do you think would be a good fit for the agriculture sector here in Western Australia? Let me know on text 0448 922 Later in the hour, you're going to meet the chief vet on a live export ship that's just left Fremantle. And of course, all the details from today's Muche sheep market. Six past 12. Well, some storms ripped through Western Australia's central wheat belt yesterday. Almost 50 millimetres of rain fell on some farms and all those rainfall details for you just after half past 12 today. But late yesterday afternoon in some areas, it wasn't just rain. There was also lightning and hail. Neil Rogerson Farms at Montagin, which is a little southeast of Meriden. So we're talking almost 300 kilometres east of Perth. Neil, can you describe what happened at your farm? Uh, yeah, Belinda, um, yesterday we were uh, harvesting and we could see a few storms out east there and there was a cloud we sort of worry about from the west and sort of watching that and didn't take much notice. Next uh, thing, there was uh, smoke going up near Montagin town site. So we sort of tried to arrange everything out of the paddock and everything and shot down there um, and we're fighting the fire and then some people that came up from Narrambeen to come and give us a hand started saying that we um, probably had a big hailstorm go through the end of our property near Wogal Bin. And, so you were uh, yeah. away fighting the fire and you missed all, all the hail action at your place? Yeah, thank goodness for that. I wouldn't like to be in that. <laughs> some of the photos they were showing me, I think they were on Facebook today. Um, yeah, the road was just covered in ice and... That, yeah, it was, uh, well, it wouldn't looked, want to be in the middle of it. No, it looked like it snowed in some of the photos that I've seen. You know, if you're looking from a distance, it really looks like that white coating of roads and, and some paddocks. Yeah, we were out last night trying to check a few things and, uh, yeah, you could see where it had blown up against trees and that. And it was, um, yeah, sort of still sitting there hours later, really. But, yeah. Uh, yeah. Have you seen it like that before with that hail coming through your patch? Uh, probably not as bad as that since I was a young fella, which is a long time ago, mm-hmm. but, uh, uh, no, not really. I've, I've heard it. I've seen one big one a fair few years ago at Mount Walker, but yeah, we've been pretty lucky really, but only minor claims for the, yeah, long time. Well, take us for a look around your farm then, Neil. How much damage has there been to the crops as a result of the hail that's fallen? 
Yeah, well, we've just uh, finished, uh, Jason and myself, uh, going around having a look. And, um, yeah, there's about 800 hectares of canola. Um, that is pretty well hardly any pods left on it at all. Maybe just the odd patch here and there with a few. But that'll be, I'd say that's 90% plus gone at least. And then there's about another 200 hectares that goes from about 80% across to another corner about a kilometre away. Um, that is uh, probably down to about 20%. So we might might be able to get some out of that. So that's good. And then there's lupins. Uh, there's 200. I've never seen lupins smash so bad. But, um, yeah, there's 200 hectares of lupins that there's not a single, there's hardly anything standing. So. <laughs> and how was it looking up until... So late yesterday afternoon, the canola and the lupins and the rest of your program. Oh, good, good. Um, yeah, we're probably looking at one of our best years or probably the best year. And the canola yields were, well, ours were insured, but uh, the yields were higher than what we insured them for. Uh, they were going better than what we thought. So, yeah, pretty optimistic, really. Yeah, well, that is such a shame that, you you know, by the sounds of it, you've got that damage. What would those... Um, paddocks, what would they have been worth? Say if we just look at the canola, for example, Neil, if you've, you know, nearly 100% damage in some of those areas, what would a, what would that have been worth? Uh, well, you can do the sums if you like, but uh, like it's 800 hectares and it was uh, going well, over two tonne. I would have averaged over two tonne. Um, so, yeah, you can do the sums on that if you like. Yeah, <laughs> I well, don't really want to. <laughs> <laughs> no, I can imagine. But you said you're insured. So, I mean, there's the silver lining. Does it cover everything completely, do you think? Uh, no, no. Uh, you never really know and you don't want to over-insure with the cost of things these days. So, you know, you put on – we try and put on what's what we think we're going to go. Um, we were probably a little bit light on the on the money side, but then – by the time all the costs and that come out, we probably weren't far off the mark. But, yeah, no, it's definitely going to cost us. Yeah, well, not cost us, but it's definitely a loss of income. Yeah, oh, I'm sorry to hear that. How widespread is the damage in your patch then, Neil? I mean, obviously, you've taken a look around your property. What are you hearing from the, the neighbours and beyond? Uh, from what I can work out, it's gone about probably 15 to 20 k's either side. Uh, varying degrees. There's there's damage in wheat too, and, and our wheat, you know, is not ready to harvest yet. It's still fairly green. Um, we're not green, but it's still pretty soft. And uh, yeah, there's some damage in there. The assessor will have to have a look at too. So, but um, you know, we've uh, we've heard of um, uh, some farmers just north and south of us, you know, with damage as well. So yeah, we're not the only ones. And when are you expecting the assessors to come out, take a look around? I talked to the broker this morning and he's guaranteed me it'll be uh, within uh, 12 to 48 hours. He said they get them out there as quick as they can, which would be really good. Yeah, that's prompt. And and do you know, uh, you know, how they go about making that assessment? How How is it determined? Uh, no, I'm just thinking that myself. Um, yeah, it's going to be quite interesting. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I'm just thinking, just looking at all the stuff, all the pods are on the ground. It's just snow on the ground. Mm. And uh, yeah, how they're going to do it will be quite interesting to see. And was there much rain in that storm for you or it was all just falling as hail? Uh, right in the middle, I just emptied a gauge and that was actually uh, smashed by the hail mm. um, at the top. But uh, that's uh, had 40 something mil in it. 
and the neighbour due east of us, uh, uh, Jeff, she said that they had 52 there. So, Wow. Well, that just sort of tells you how you know intense that hailstorm was if it smashed your rain gauge. Yeah, well, she's a pretty old rain gauge, but it yeah, did take big chunks out of it. And, well, and that's a... Time for a new one then, by the sound. Yes. Um, now, that rain, Neil, is that just a, an inconvenience? Is that a problem in any way for you? What What's the story? Ah, oh, out upon the bum. Yeah, we just it's held up harvest. Uh, we we didn't get so much rain out on the east farm, so hopefully we can move out there. And there's only one tiny patch of hail out there that we've found so far. So hopefully we can probably shift there and be going again in a day or so. And you said you were fighting a fire at the time when the hailstorm came pl- uh, through your place, so you missed all all that action. You had some action of your own with a fire. How did that start? Do you know? Uh, that was a lightning strike off the same storm in a barley paddock uh, just north of Muntagen town site. And, uh, yeah, I must say, everyone, there was a huge turn up to that and got it out, pro- you know, really promptly. Maybe it was something to do with the fire being close to Muntagen pub. It seems to get saved pretty pretty quickly these days. So. <laughs> well, look, I, I'm, you know, I'm glad that fire's under control and I really hope everything goes well with the assessor coming out to take a look around at that hail damage at your place. And thank you for telling us your story today, Neil. I appreciate it. Yeah, no problem. Thank you. Bye-bye. Neil Rogerson, he farms at Muntagen, which is just a a little southeast of Meriden. So it's almost 300 kilometres east of Perth and telling you about those storms that came through his place in that central wheat belt zone. A little bit of rain and some hail damage also. Quarter past 12 here on the Country Hour. The WA Country Hour with Belinda Varischetti on ABC Radio WA. Great to have you along. And in other grains news today, the state's main grain handler, the CBH Group, says it is not aware of an association of CBH shareholders and has not been approached regarding a position on the grower patronage rebate program. Now, of course, this follows the conversation you heard here on the Country Hour yesterday with Bill Cowan. He's a farmer from Mount Walker and the inaugural chair of just a, a newly formed group. It's the CBH Shareholders Association, it's calling itself. Bill Cowan says the key motivation for the formation of this new group is securing a rebate for growers. As you know, earlier this year, in a first for the co-op, The CBH decided that it would direct the profits of its marketing and trading division, which will be hundreds of millions of dollars, to the supply chain rather than pay a rebate to growers. According to Bill Cowan, that decision is wrong and could be the start of the co-op's demise. The plain truth of it is it's not right that a small group can be paying for for the rest of the people. And this is where in a cooperative is where a cooperative starts to break down is when you have the free rider effect of everyone else in the cooperative riding off the coattails of somebody, some small group that are putting all the money in. That's going to, that, that will be the end of the CBH cooperative very, very quickly. As Bill Cowan was saying yesterday, he intends to take a motion to the CBH annual general meeting calling for a rebate for growers from the large profit of the marketing and trading division. I have requested an interview with CBH's chair, Simon Stead. The group says it won't come on to talk to you. 
as CBH has not been approached by the group. And hopefully when that does happen, when there is a conversation, Simon Stead will join us to discuss this group of farmers' concerns. In an email, CBH says, our strategy is to increase the capacity of the supply chain to meet the growing crop size and the co-op remains focused on executing that strategy as soon as possible for the benefit of all WA growers. It says, this reinforces the decision by our grower-elected board to reinvest a portion of the surplus from marketing and trading in the network for the benefit of all growers in line with the overwhelming sentiment from growers at our recent regional member forums. 17 past 12. Shortly at around about half past 12, an update from the newsroom for you and then checking the weather conditions right across the state and seeing if there's any more rain, hail, storms on the way for the Southwest Land Division and also checking the weather conditions north too. Still hot by the sounds of things. First though, Western Australia's farming community has some very mixed reviews about Alana McTiernan's time as State Agriculture Minister. The Upper House MP first entered politics in the early 1990s and yesterday announced she'll be leaving politics early next year. In the lead-up to the announcement, Alana McTiernan has been reflecting on her time in politics. I guess sort of like one of the weird things about me, I always think I haven't done enough and, and I'm now thinking of what I need to get done so, look, as I said, it's, uh, it's you know, I know I've put my heart and soul into it. It's been a great opportunity. I mean, it really is an incredible privilege, but it is bloody hard work. And I think I've uh, operated at that level, I think, long enough now, and I'm absolutely ready to hand over the baton. I'm very passionate about agriculture and I think in a general uh, sense I think I'm going to be on the right side of history. We're working very hard to get people to absolutely understand the positive role of animals in the agricultural system. The potential that our agricultural lands have to become major carbon sinks if we get this right. There is so much bigger and more important a story to be told about agriculture, to be told about the importance of animals in a sustainable farming system. Live export is just a really, really small part of what is a much bigger and much more profoundly important story to be told about agriculture. Minister Alana McTiernan announcing her decision to leave politics, and that will happen early next year. How do you reflect on Alana McTiernan's time as Agriculture Minister and her contribution to the portfolio? The text is zero double four eight nine double two six. Zero four, and who will replace her? Have you got any ideas? Let me know. Also on the text zero double four eight nine double two six zero four. Dave Menzel is a farmer from the Ord Valley and president of the Shire of Wyndham East Kimberley. He says the minister's departure is a big loss for agriculture in the north. We were sort of half expecting it, but there'd certainly be a, a sense of sadness that after all the advocacy and work she's done for us that she's leaving her portfolio of, of regional development and primary industry, but also is a um, really strong advocate for the East Kimberley and the Kimberley in general. Mm. What sort of contribution has she made to agriculture in, in the Ord Valley and then also more broadly across the north, do you think? 
Uh, look, I think in the Ord Valley in particular, she's uh, reinvigorated deeper in the Ord Valley. We were getting to a stage where we were almost to lose our research station. We were de-staffed and defunded to such a level that, you know, there was talk about what to do with it and whether to try and buy it out of the department because it was just wasn't being used. We're now at the stage where we've got some really talented people there working for the betterment of agriculture and, and primary industry in particular. So I think that's a strong legacy. I think as we approach the point of starting to uh, line up a cotton industry, she's been a very strong advocate in, in that space for us. And look, I think typical of Alana, she's she's challenged us on lots of things. And that's I think that's a really positive thing that she brought to the table. Um, willing to back it in you know she probably struggled a bit with a cotton industry early on but I think we saw that she wanted to make it the best it could be and fought for a, a nice clean and green energy supply to the cotton gin and uh, really pushed us to do the best we could with that industry. How do you think she will be remembered by the agricultural sector in Northern WA? Uh, look, I think as a fierce fighter for the Kimberley, always challenging ideas and a really forward thinker as far as what we we're about to do and, and whether we we're doing the right things. So I think the challenging discussions we had with her are always memorable. Sometimes, um, you know, not all that pleasant either, but I think that was a strength that she was on top of her portfolio in the Kimberley and was, you know, a really good person to bounce ideas around with. Shire of Wyndham East Kimberley President and Kununurra Farmer David Menzel speaking to Steph Sinclair. 22 past 12, this on the text, and Brad says good riddance to her and... Also, this from Stuart, who says, Having Alana leaving the agricultural portfolio is the best news I've heard all year. Sadly, there will be another self-centred ladder climber who will probably have no idea about agriculture and the differences and difficulties good farmers face with the extra costs government is inflicting on them through stupidity of government policy. Without farmers, we all starve, says Stuart. And as far as replacements, Peter thinks maybe Darren West... For Agriculture Minister, and he says thoughts. And this from Peter, who says Sandra Carr might be good as an Agriculture Minister. The little I've had to do with her, I've found her office contacts you, listens, and tries to help. Yes, a newbie to politics, says Peter. And John Bain says Paul Papalia, the current police minister, is my pick. Zero double four eight nine double two six zero four is that text if you've got some thoughts. 24 past 12, Mick Fells farms at Whittenham Hills, 50 kilometres northeast of Esperance. He was the WA Farmers Grain Section President from 2020 until just recently, so he had many dealings with the Agriculture Minister. Mick, how do you reflect on Alana McTiernan's time? Look, I think um, she's got a long history of being a very um, passionate and effective um, Member of Parliament, but I think she was off the, the main track when it came to agriculture. There's no, no secret in my feelings about that and I think a lot of farmers in WA share it. Look, I think she had the right intentions but I think the, the biggest issue was she made it clear that she didn't really value the opinion of the mainstream grains industry in WA. She had her own ideas, not necessarily overly well-informed ideas, I don't think, um, about 
what we should be doing. The, the state government generally took a fairly patronising attitude towards the grains industry specifically, um, a fairly arrogant attitude that they knew better, despite the fact they had very little experience, little to none. So it was very frustrating for the grains industry particularly that we didn't really have any empathy from the state government in terms of the issues and, and our priorities. But, you know, uh, credit where it's due. One good thing that, um, that Alana personally, I think, was responsible for, which I think has been really important, has been the regional development grants. And I know, that, you know, there's been some critics of, of that system, but I'm strongly in favour of, of something along the lines of a discretionary grant system, which, you know, it avoids all the red tape, which generally only big business benefits from red tape type systems. So I know of a number of businesses who have received some funding, up to 100000 from the regional development grants, and it's made such a huge difference, not just for those businesses, but for the whole community, in Esperance particularly, you know, the Lucky Bay Brewing down here, they're able to relocate and look at how successful that's been, not just for them, but for the town. And then we've got Bread Local now have received some um, support to expand. And these things are really good for the town and they're good for those businesses. And, you know, I think that's been a fantastic initiative. And, um, you know, I think that's something, you know, as a legacy that, that the minister's left behind. So there's a lot of names going around at the moment as to who might replace Alana McTiernan. Jackie Jarvis is one name that does keep coming up in the, the rumour mill around agricultural circles. Who have you heard? Who would you like? What do you know, Mick? I'm not in political circles. <laughs> Esperance is a long way from the nerve centre of all that sort of stuff, which is probably good. I'm mainly focused on harvesting a crop at the moment, even though the sky is grey. To be honest, I think most in the farming sector don't really know too many of the, the state government members, the, the Labor members, which is nearly all of them, of course. So it's a bit hard to say who would be good. Are you confident you'll get a strong advocate? I'm hopeful that we will, but because I don't, I don't know most of them one way or the other, I, I couldn't say if they would be good, bad or, or indifferent. I think the important thing is that the Premier, you know, uh, considers the, the gravitas of the broadacre, well, the agriculture portfolio generally, but obviously broadacre is a major contributor to that um, and really, really takes pains to consult with industry about who, who might be the best person um, to take on that portfolio. But I think it's really critical that whoever does take on that portfolio either already has a good rapport with the agricultural sector or if not, that they're prepared to establish one. The best contrast is if you look at Murray Watt, the Federal Minister for Agriculture, his approach when he came into the job um, was incredibly consultative. He did a, a tour of the country visiting farmers, going out to their shed, standing in the shed with a group of the neighbours all standing around. You know, he wasn't telling them, he was listening to them and he's coming gently, gently and he's really making a clear effort to, to understand our issues and to act accordingly. Well, at the federal level, you've just highlighted Murray Watt as a, as a good example of the sort of person you're looking at. At the state level, if you look back over the years, who would you sort of highlight among the agriculture ministers that we've had as someone who is a good role model, I guess? Well, like I said before, I, I don't think this is a, a political colour issue. I don't think uh, Labor has a monopoly on offering the ag portfolio as a bit of a junker for somebody. <laughs> to be honest, I think Terry Redman really um, was, was the last really effective and passionate agriculture minister that we've had in West Australia. That was a long time ago. And there's been a number of appointments since then, which I think were really sort of a reward for somebody who'd put a lot of work in or 
a sort of like parking somebody in a portfolio that you want to reward them and give them something important to do, but not so important that it really matters that much. Um, give them a bit of a budget to throw around how they see fit and not worry too much about the outcomes. And that, that's, you know, that's inappropriate for agriculture. We are a major contributor. I think the problem we have in WA is mining is such a strong... <laughs> you know, so in West Australia, you know, sort of globally, we're one of the biggest mining export origins. And because of that, everybody else plays second fiddle, including agriculture, which in any other jurisdiction... An agriculture sector the size of Western Australia's would justify, you know, having the very best people in charge of it. But because mining is so ridiculously huge in WA, ag, even though it's really significant, is sort of treated like, you know, the poor cousin. And, and um, yeah, governments of all persuasions tend to not worry too much about who they put in that portfolio, which is, you know, it's pretty frustrating for us when we're dealing with all the things that we're dealing with out here. Why did you pluck out Terry Redmond? What was it about him you liked? Well, I remember 2007, we had uh, floods in Esperance, uh, I don't know, seven or eight inches of rain in one or two days in January, and it washed out half the farm, and the, quite a big part of the Esperance area was affected by it, and um, Terry and Murray Criddle and a couple of others flew down to Esperance within a couple of days. Um, they actually came out to our shed on the farm, and some neighbours were here, and we had a, a meeting with them and just discussed the raw issues, and there was quite a bit of emotion at the time, because farms had been sort of trashed. And, um, you know, within a week or two, they'd come up with a a very modest but a, but a useful assistance package for people to sort of rebuild fences and things. And as much as anything, it indicated that they cared, you know. First, they listened, and second, they just offered some help of some description. And it, it wasn't like a, a big handout. It was more, well, you know, this is really good, that they actually care, um, care enough to come and, you know, talk about it. And I think a lot of the time, that's actually what... That's really what people want. They just want to know that someone who's representing them actually cares and empathises. And, you know, since then, we haven't had too many ministers who, you know, who really um, have gone to that level and really paid attention to the detail of what the big issues are and, and you know, what are some really practical solutions that we can put in place to, to resolve those problems. Mick, really good to get your reflections. Thank you so much. Nice talking, Glenda. Cheers. Mick Fells, farming at Whittenham Hills in the Esperance region. On the text, James and Kojanup says, glad to see the back of her, very misguided, zero background or training in agriculture, always pushing her own agenda. The damage she caused to live export will live on. See ya, says James. And Emma in Augusta says, as far as a replacement goes, the rumour is it's Jackie Jarvis. There is a strong rumour about Jackie Jarvis. Um, Emma says, McGowan is having a sundowner at her vineyard a little later this month. Not hopeful on her as she follows McGowan says Emma. That text again, 0448 922 to 1. Jonathan Beale is here. What's in the headlines, Jonathan? Thanks, Belinda. In the headlines, police have confirmed witness reports that a 52-year-old man was stumbling across a street before being found dead outside a home in Perth South. Officers were called to the property on Carrington Street in Hilton yesterday afternoon and found the man lying on footpath. A 44-year-old man's been arrested and police are searching for another man. Police say the cause of death is still unknown. The full report into the sports rorts affair under the former coalition government has found National Senator Bridget McKenzie breached standards by failing to declare she was a member of a shooting club to which she awarded a $36,000 grant. The investigation was conducted by the former Prime Minister and Cabinet Department Secretary Phil Gaitchens. He says the potential conflict should have been clear to the Minister who failed to maintain the trust of the Australian people. And Medibank says it's aware of reports a ransomware group is threatening to publish data stolen from
from the company within 24 hours. The health insurers released a statement after the threat was made on the dark web overnight. The ransomware group did not include data samples, but Medibank says customers should remain vigilant as criminals could attempt to contact them directly. More news, Belinda, at one o'clock. Jonathan, thank you for the update. 27 to 1. You're part of the Country Hour with Belinda Varischetti on ABC Local Radio WA. Still to come between now and the news, one off to Muche for the results of today's sheep market. Also, you will find out how Queensland farmers are going about trying to get products into more Australian school students' lunchboxes that they take off to school each day. They've got a plan to um, increase that get more product into those lunchboxes. And also you'll catch up with the chief vet on board a live uh, export vessel that just left Fremantle, I think yesterday, might have been yesterday. You'll catch up with him shortly here on the Country Hour. First off to the Bureau of Meteorology, Caroline Crow. It is very interesting around the Southwest Land Division in the last 24 hours or so. We heard from a farmer earlier around Montagin who had... Uh, quite a bit of hail at his place and quite a bit of damage as a result of that. Some rain too. What's going on around the Southwest Land Division? Any of that activity still about? Yeah, there is a little bit of a still about, Belle. As you mentioned, there has been quite a bit of activity, uh, particularly through the, um, the northeastern part of the uh, Southwest Land Division uh, Yesterday and overnight, uh, there was uh, quite a few vigorous thunderstorms around and, as you mentioned, the hail um, and also some heavy falls. So the heavy falls uh, sound as though they're quite patchy uh, depending on uh, weather thunderstorms were um, and exactly those falls. So there were a couple of locations that got quite a bit of rainfall from thunderstorms. Um, a couple received just over 30 millimetres in an hour or two over the, uh, from thunderstorms overnight last night and a couple of records, daily records for November broken as well uh, from those thunderstorms. But what's happening is we've got a low pressure system uh, in the base of a trough that's sitting over the gas, uh, the gold fields at the moment and it's extending a trough into that uh, southwest land division sort of from a northeast to a a west to southwesterly direction and on that trough aided by some mid-level instability as well is uh, forming those thunderstorms. Now most of those thunderstorms at the moment have moved east of the southwest land division and they're sitting over the Gascoigne Uh, but there is a risk that they could start again or we could get some again this afternoon through northern parts of the southwest land division. So if I kind of draw a line would be sitting sort of maybe from Norseman through to into um, western parts of the central west district, so Mora and Morrowa, and then through southern parts of the Gascoigne and back into the goldfield. So that's sort of the area there. However, the severe thunderstorms are more likely to be sort of east of the southwest land division or just creep into uh, eastern parts or northeastern parts of the central wheat belt. So most of the severe thunderstorms look as though they've um, moved further east today. And then what we're going to see is conditions continue uh, generally to ease coming into Wednesday. So that low pressure system and trough is going to continue to move east uh, towards the Euclid interior and gradually out of the state. Um, But 
Coming into Wednesday, we do see another trough starting to extend into the southwest land division. So we could see a couple of thunderstorms still forming through eastern parts, uh, through the central west district, sort of around the southern cross area and uh, east of that area there coming into tomorrow. Not expected to be uh, severe thunderstorms coming into tomorrow though. And then down the trough, more towards the southwest corner, there could be just some light showers through southern coastal districts as well. And then coming into Thursday, we've got a cold front moving through. So um, it's a sort of weak to moderate cold front for this time of the year. And uh, it looks like uh, the cold front's going to be near the southwest corner. So the Cape's around um, 8 o'clock Thursday morning, uh, if I put a time sort of on it. And then it's gradually going to move north and east and will weaken as it moves north and east as well and lie around Lanceland through to Ravensthorpe sort of in that late afternoon, early evening stage. And rainfall totals from the cold front sort of along the west and south coast, so that Lewin to Albany area and adjacent parts inland, we could see up sort of 5 to 10 millimetres. And then gradually moving further north and east, uh, Bunbury to Catanning to Bremer Bay around 2 to 5 millimetres and then sort of gradually easing off um, less than 2 millimetres sort of heading up towards Lancelin and uh, across to Ravensthorpe. So if you can kind of put a line and then anything further north and east of that's just going to be sort of very light fall, a trace, 0.2, maybe 0.5 millimetres. And then heading on Thursday... As well as that cold front moving through, it's going to push that trough further east and we could see those thunderstorms um, that I mentioned in the central wheat belt district uh, for tomorrow. They'll move around to the Esperance area and then gradually move east coming into Friday. The front and uh, the trough will be um, out of the southwest land division and we'll start seeing a cold southerly flow uh, behind the trough, uh, behind the cold front, sorry. It is quite a cold uh, southerly flow as well. So temperatures are going to drop on um, Friday in that southwest corner, the south um, coastal district, southeast coastal district and adjacent parts into the great southern um, southern parts there, we could see temperatures less than 15 degrees and then sort of creeping up to maybe 15 to 20 degrees getting into northern parts of the great southern there. So quite a cool change. Overnight temperatures as well will cool off uh, coming into um, Friday morning and Saturday morning where temperatures will see maybe around that three to four degree mark through inland parts of the Southwest Land Division. And then coming into the weekend, that ridge is still going to push, continue to push through. The winds will still be southerly, so showers mostly along southern coastal districts and then just contracting further south um, on Sunday with the ridge still continuing to push through. There's a bit on, isn't there, Caroline? And did you mention there was a, a record rainfall for some parts of the Southwest Land Division? Where was that? How yeah, much? there have been a couple um, with the thunderstorms moving through last night and those ones that dropped uh, quite a bit of rainfall. So one of them um, was uh, Wongan Hills uh, received 61.4 millimetres, I think it was, um, early this morning. And so that was a daily rainfall record, the highest November daily rainfall on record for Wongan Hills. Um, And that's uh, for all... um, for all on record, and they've had uh, observations for about 117 years, or so quite a long time. Um, the mean rainfall for November is about 12.4 millimetres, so that's the mean for all of November. And I think the previous record was just below 40 millimetres in uh, 1983. So um, 
Yeah, quite a wow. while ago since we had that last record. There was another couple of other uh, records broken as well, I think. All right. Well, that's good. Gives a bit of an idea of that. What, 61, whatever it was at Wongan Hills. Well, also, let's take a look now at northern and eastern parts. How's it looking there? Is there much going on in that part? Yeah, sorry if I stick sort of more to the southeastern parts at this point in time um, because that's where we've got those thunderstorms. So that low that I mentioned at the base of the trough um, has a tro- has another trough also extending towards the southeast into the Euclid district. So that's uh, generating showers and thunderstorms as well, uh, potentially severe out of those thunderstorms today through the goldfields and into the Euclid uh, during today as well. And then heading a little bit further north, the trough extends into the Kimberley as well. So those showers and thunderstorms are also expected over the interior and into the Kimberley and we have issued a severe thunderstorm warning uh, for eastern parts or northeastern parts of the south interior and into the northern interior as well with um, with those thunderstorms at this point in time. So that just got recently issued within the last half an hour. So just watch that space um, out that way. And then thunderstorms con- continuing in the Kimberley and then it's fairly uh, clear through the Pilbara and into the uh, most of the Gascoigne uh, coming into today and then into Wednesday. And then what's going to happen with those thunderstorms is as that low and trough contract east, those showers and thunderstorms are going to contract to the southeast of the Eucla uh, coming into Wednesday and also contract further northeast as well. So be more confined to the um, Kimberley and into northern parts of the interior. And then as the coming days um, as that cold front approaches it's going to push uh, thunderstorms even further north and be confined just to the Kimberley on Thursday and down the trough on um, Thursday just in the south southern parts of the goldfields and into the Eucla as well and then we'll see them contract further southeast. So really today is um, probably the, the most vigorous day with showers and thunderstorms um, and then a gradual sort of push towards the north and the southeast for those thunderstorms over coming days. And then the warnings today? Yeah, so currently as I mentioned we've got that severe weather warning for damaging uh, sorry, severe thunderstorm warning for damaging winds uh, for the north interior and south interior districts uh, with those thunderstorms. And also there is a fire weather warning for the south interior today. Thank you so much, Caroline. 13 to 1. Richard Hudson is here now taking a look at those rainfall figures. Yeah, and in the northern and eastern forecast districts, a little bit around in the Kimberley, Lansdowne 5, Mount Amherst and Mount Winifred both recorded 7, and then in the goldfields, Credo and Cambalda West 11 mils and Jindalby 6, and then in the Euclid district, Euclid itself recorded 6. And then in the southwest land division forecast districts, in the central west to Braddon had 6, that's the only one worth reading out. In the lower west, Bolgart Bin 18, Julamar Forest 15 and Watning 13. In the southwest, nothing over 2 mils. And then in the southern coastal region, Jacob 5, Metla 9, Oakmarsh Farm 7, Tamar 5 and Wellstead 7. And as you just heard, the bulk of the rain fell in the central wheat belt. Amory Acres, 18. Ardath, 5. Bonnie Rock, 7 to 11 mils. Uh, Bruce Rock Farmer Josh has texted in to say he got 57. 
Bullfinch 23, Borough Coppin South 17, Calgie 28, Codgen 21, Cow Cowing 26, Cunderdon Airfield 21, Doolakine 8, East Beverly 18, Janding 26, Goodland 7, Grabble 46, Happy Valley 8, Hines Hill 18, Jeroma 37, Kelleberran North 22, Cockadine 15, Corder 8, Long Forest 15, Meckering North 8, Meriden 33, Mount Hardy 5, Muckenbooden 12, Muresk 17, Nanjinan 30, Narrambeen Airport recorded 7. I chatted to a few farmers in that area. One had only got one mill and one had 45, so patchy. Nungarran 36, Quadney 27, Querriting Airport 15, Shackleton 8, Southern Cross 14, Training West 40, Whale 10, Westonia 17, uh, Westonia's deep herd station at 39, though. Wyalki, 6. Wongan Hills topped it for the 24 hours, as Caroline mentioned, with 61, but not far away from there, the Wongan Hills deep herd station only recorded 9, and the Wongan Hills north rain gauge only had 8 mils in it. Nattering, 5. York, 9. York East, 15. And York Rakhine, 21. And then in the Great Southern Region, Hyden had between 7 and 8 mils, and Yearling East with 9. None of the others were at 5 mils or above. Just chatting to some of those farmers today, they were saying the significant amount of rain they had in those areas where it did fall, it's more of an annoyance or an inconvenience, maybe going to mean they're going to have to do a bit more spraying of weeds in summer. But if you get a chance, we mentioned this the other day, the rain that fell out at Rulina Station. This is Australia's biggest sheep station. About a, it's over a million hectares. So you're talking 400 k's east of Cal. They only, in inverted commas, got 25 mils. But they have been in drought for the last few years. And check out the, the story online. It's up now. You not only see some big puddles, they almost look like lakes. And the guys there are just saying it's game-changing rain for them. So it's not an inconvenience at all. You can find that story on the ABC Rural Facebook page. Makes it nice and easy. Richard, thank you for that. It is 14 to 1. Very shortly, just before the news at one, it is off to Miche for the results of the sheep market. Terry Birkin will be along with all those details just before one o'clock. Now, how often have you looked at a policy or a program designed to help farmers and thought, if only they just come along and asked me, I really could have made this work? Or when it comes to surging wild dog and pig numbers, that's exactly the approach of two feral animal control syndicates being led by landowners but managed by their local council. It's seen the number of participants rise by 17% and now the National Wild Dog Action Plan says it could be a model for other regions. Scott Henshin is a mixed cropper and cattleman who also happens to be a local councillor. He says so far their model is working well to help tackle feral animals. Most primary producers don't have the time to go and do it themselves or they do it periodically. So to be able to have a syndicate that's managed by the landowners and engaging professional people, it takes a lot of the onus off the primary producers. And again, we've had some fantastic results there with the numbers that have been eradicated in the past few seasons there. 
And so do you think that's really the success of this program, that it was the syndicates came together themselves, they took the lead on it, but the council's been able to support that work? Oh, without a doubt. I mean, one of the things, when you want to start something like this, you don't want to start another entity like because you have to have bank accounts, you have to have presidents and vice presidents and secretaries and treasurers and all of that. The South Bennett Council has been very, very enthusiastic and encouraging in supporting these groups and that they become the trustee for them. So everything's done within the council. They manage the funds in relation to the syndicates and then the, the professionals that trap or shoot the wild dogs, for argument's sake, they then go and deal with the council in the distribution of the monies. And how that's set up varies from syndicate to syndicate. That's controlled by the syndicate, not the council. You know, we certainly encourage it. And look, every model doesn't work for every district either. I stress that. Like, that's something that the landowners have to work on as to what suits them best. And given that it has been such a good season for pest animals, do you think this made a big difference in dealing with that pressure on your property and the property of the other landowners? Well, it's a starting point, Carly. I mean, because of the unprecedented wet and people not being able to get about, which makes it very hard to access country. But I mean, with, and I can't stress the unprecedented wet season in the last, well, it's now 12 months. It started to rain in November 2021. And I think we've had something like in the old scale, 40 odd inches in, in our area alone, which is, is almost, it's not double, but it's well up on our annual rainfall. So it's been unprecedented rain. So it's been beautiful, but at the same time, there's always, if you solve one, one problem, you sometimes create another one. I wouldn't say we're getting on top of them because when we have seasons like this, I mean, they can have multiple litters per year, so numbers can grow very, very quickly. And what's being done is great, but there certainly needs to be more done. And if we can encourage more syndicates or participants in the baiting program, I mean, like I stated before, up 17% to what was previous done and to encourage 77 land islanders, that's a good start. You said you do you mixed cropping and cattle. What have you got in the ground at the moment? I've got a winter crop in the ground at the moment, and that's both barley and oats. We were anticipating to chop it for silage, but we can't get on the country. as Most winter crop areas are experiencing exceptionally wet conditions and struggling to get it off. So uh, if I can harvest anything this season, I'll be, I'll be very grateful. But that's Mother Nature. She's a powerful girl. I guess I guess one thing I could add, Carly, with that, like the damage that the wild dogs and the feral pigs do, uh, it's, it's hard to put a price on it. But I can tell you firsthand from experience and being a primary producer, both in the cattle industry, the damage they do, wild dogs do to the cattle industry is enormous because you can't send animals to too many places that have had damage done to them with a wild dog. And the feral pig in the cropping industry is massive. Like... They're destructive animals that can destroy a crop in a matter of a night or in a couple of nights. To put a price on that, and we've done some figures, it's quite scary, um, depending what the season is, be it summer crop or winter crop. But pigs in a night can do tens of thousands of dollars in one night in, in just one property. Uh, so multiply that by days or weeks. And, and in the beef industry, if you've got cattle, what we've not seen before, the prices over the last two or three years, have been exceptional and are still at the current moment. But, I mean, you know, any beast today is worth virtually a minimum of $1,000, and from there you head up. So, you know, the damage to the primary production industry is massive. That's Queensland farmer and South Burnett councillor Scott Hinchin speaking to Kelly Buchanan. Nine to one here on the Country Hour. And a live export ship has just left Fremantle, loaded with more than 54,000 sheep, 
and 300 cattle. And the animals are on their way to Kuwait, Qatar, the United Arab Emirates and Oman. And this is the second consignment by, well, locally it's known as Retwa, but owned by the Kuwait Livestock Transport and Trading Company. So it's the second consignment since the lifting of the 2022 summer moratorium. On board the vessel is Fiona Baird, who was raised in New Zealand and calls herself a live export stock lady. She's been doing that for the last 12 years. ABC reporter Mark Bennett managed to catch up with her just before the ship left port, and he was on board part of a ship tour with members from the broader livestock industry. So we're on board the Al-Q8 here, which is loading sheep to go to the Middle East. What are you telling the visitors that are here on board today? Well, I'm just getting down to the grassroots level, talking to them about the feeding systems, watering systems, the day-to-day activities and jobs of the crew on board, explaining a little bit about the housekeeping, relationships between uh, stock people and veterinarians and all the crew. We have so many different nationalities on board talking about the length of the voyages and obstacles and issues that could pop up and how we work through that. So you're normally working with shipping cattle from New Zealand to China. Are there different circumstances involved in the trade here or are there similarities? No, um, there's a lot of differences. At the moment, New Zealand's actually preparing to shut down its live export trade, which is a great shame. A knee-jerk reaction to the Gulf One sinking in 2020. Um, So I've been lucky to be a part of the last few voyages over the last year, so four long hauls I've done from Timaru through to uh, China. They're around anywhere between 15 to 18 days and no issues. We've had a very low mortality rate, the cattle are coming off healthy, happy and most importantly um, great animal welfare practices are shown on the voyage itself. And then also in the port, which is a, a follow-up follow from what we're doing with the cattle, and we're teaching our people in the ports how to handle cattle as well. So how is uh, the trade, both the cattle trade and the supply chain industries in New Zealand, responded to having the trade shut down? What's been the reaction there? Uh, you know, everybody has, um, every industry body has said, no, we want to keep it going. The government has flat out just said, no, we're not. They've gone against every hearing that they've had. We've had independent hearings. We've had um, your federated farmers, etc. But end of April 2023 is when they're going to shut it down. It's a viable industry for New Zealand. It's part of our primary industries, the backbone of New Zealand, may I add. You know, we're looking at farmers that are using the um, export industry. And let's just clarify too, it's not for slaughter. They're breeding stock. So unjoined heifers we're sending um, for dairy and beef. Farmers are going to lose anywhere between 49,000 to 120,000. That's just a small, uh, that's a small um, group of people within the industry, but that's a lot of money for a lot of farmers, you know. Is there a live sheep trade out of Kiwi? No. So it is, it is only a cattle trade? Correct, yes. So is, is there a lesson there for Australian farmers to learn what has happened over the ditch? No, I think what should have happened there is New, New Zealand should have followed Australia's lead with animal welfare um, being accountable and being transparent. Unfortunately they didn't have the support networks as what we've got here in Australia and it's just an industry over there that's just been building up again after so many years um, after the ban of slaughter cattle being sent from New Zealand. 
So, look, I think it's going to be detrimental to a lot of those people over there, especially dairy cattle too, where you're going to see a lot more of those cattle are going to have to be sent to the works locally at a young age, especially dairy cattle, yeah. And I think everyone needs to realise the Gulf 1 wasn't an industry issue, that was a vessel issue. And unfortunately, with the Labour government, with the Greens behind them, going against what every industry body is saying to them, keep the trade going, we want the trade going, let's tidy it up, let's be more accountable, but the government won't even give it that chance. So that's a shame. Fiona Baird, a live export stock lady, as she calls herself, on board the Al Kuwait ship on its way to the Middle East. And she was catching up with the ABC's Mark Bennett. Four minutes to one. Hello, I'm Annie Guest. Join me for The World Today. Why the rush? Crossbenchers plead for more time as the government tables its workplace changes. Life on the front line. We head to the city of Avdivka as the Ukrainian advance continues. And a historic moment for abuse survivors in Tasmania. They're in Parliament today for an official apology. Join me for The World Today at lunchtime. Three minutes to one. Off to Mushay now. And 2,845 sheep and lambs sold at Mushay this morning. So numbers down almost 2,000 on last week. Terry Birkins at the sale. Hi, Terry. Can you run through the details? Hi, Belinda. Not a lot for processors today with limited numbers of finished lambs and mutton on offer, with a pen of lambs topping the sale today at $152. Mostly light frame and immature lambs for restocking were presented with reasonable competition from the usual buyers as well as some new faces today. Mutton was back $10 a head with the best years returning $118. Store lambs made from $10 to $50, while light lambs were selling from $55 to $90 a head. Trade lambs returned up to $120, and heavy lambs sold up to $152. Ram lambs returned $31 to $75, and a line of merino weather lambs with 40mm of wool made $120 a head. Merino weather hoggets were making $58 to $100, while merino ewe hoggets returned $32 to $110. Crossbred hoggets sold to $117 and younger rams were selling to $80 a head. Boney ewes made $23 to $50. Medium ewes were selling up to $95 and heavy merino ewes returned up to $118. Heavy dorper ewes sold up to $95 while mature rams were selling from $5 to $69 a head. This is Terry Birkin for MLA's National Livestock Reporting Service. Terry, thank you for that. It's about a minute and a half away from the news at one. And this hour, just talking about Alana McTiernan's decision to retire from politics early next year. So reflecting on her time and also looking ahead to who may replace her. Uh, on the text, this from TG at Courage and Good Riddance, Alana. Your contempt for our industry is well noted. Her backflips are impressive. Maybe a career in gymnastics will suit her. And Terry Redmond's name came up as a, a previous ag minister that Mick Fells thought did a good job. Uh, this from Stuart. Terry Redmond gave away millions of dollars of WA research money on canola. He let GM canola into the state. He pitted farmer against farmer, GM against organic farmer. As far as I'm concerned, he's a traitor to the farming community. And this, I would like to thank Alana McTiernan for her passion and diligence in the time she was agriculture minister. I believe she looked at ag with fresh eyes and could see some of our big problems and tried to present a different approach. But too many farmers are now led by the no by multinational chemical companies and have forgotten how to be critical thinkers 
who put their land first. I regard her as the best agriculture minister since Kim Chance. Thank you for all your texts today, your thoughts, your opinions, your reflections. Really appreciated. Time for the news. It is one o'clock.